Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. From the over-the-top studios at Scratch Labs in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. On Adventure with Eric Larson, and Eric, you just showed us why so many people love you and follow you. Your ego is like non-existent, even with all the amazing stuff you've done. <laughs> it's a blessing and a curse, I guess. I don't know. I We were doing a sound check, and I asked Eric, what's the uh, best book on polar exp- exploration that's ever been written? And I'm here looking at his new book on thin ice, and took him a while to come up with the right title (laughs) hey there there i mean just so you know like i as a kid and even as an adult i spent a lot of my time with nose and my nose and these books different books reading about polar exploration about adventure and so it's a little um you know for me i have still got stars in my eyes thinking that i've been able to do those things those same trips that I read about historically, um, you know, 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, have been able to do those, have been able to do them in, in pretty incredible ways, and then be able to tell a story. Like, there's not a moment that that's lost on me, you know. And how has the story changed? It, in a way, it really hasn't no, from the 1700s to now. That's the funny thing about this type of travel. I mean, there are some technological advancements in terms of, like, we have nylon tents instead of canvas tents. We have um, a stove that weighs like 11 ounces versus like, you know, 22 ounces or whatever. Um, we have Gore-Tex, but, uh, you know, we're still out there, human power, skis, pulling all of our gear. And so in one sense, a lot of this stuff really has not changed at all. And it's the unknown and you're out there facing the same dangers and it's phenomenal to me what you guys do. Yeah, it's um, well, it's like a lot of other things that I found is I think when you look at it from a far away perspective, it's pretty daunting and kind of overwhelming. And even on our trip, it's like that. But what I've learned is like all these unknowns, you can learn ways to manage that uncertainty, ways to manage the fear. And I think, um, you know, my book on tonight's does probably its best job at talking about how we just dealt with a lot of those unknowns all the time. And not to give it away, I mean, I just, I can't wait to read this, and that's not just saying that. (laughs) This looks amazing. What a story. Can you walk us through the book? Yeah, I mean, the book starts out um, with probably one of the scariest things that's ever happened to me in my life, 
um, which is almost getting eaten by a polar bear. So my partner, Ryan Waters, and I were double pulling a sled. Our sleds were so heavy at the beginning of the expedition that we couldn't pull them individually. So we are hooking both of our harnesses up to one sled, pulling it forward, unhooking, going back, and getting the other sled. And so we were pulling the sled. We're snowshoeing along. It's hard work. It's cold. It's 30, 40 degrees below zero. Um, we were covered. Our faces are covered. It's windy. And um, I just kind of leaned over my shoulder and yelled to Ryan, hey, let's stop up here. And as I did, we turned around, and there were two polar bears walking straight at us. Um, and so that's how the book starts. And I'd say that it gets better from there, but really it gets worse in the sense that this whole journey every single day was like epic. It was a monumental feat of survival. It was a, a you know, this the biggest mental challenge that you could possibly imagine that was just unrelenting. And so, you know, from that point, we get a little, you get a lot of insight into, you know, what it takes to plan and prepare and execute a modern day uh, polar ex expedition. And, and for me, having read so many books about this, what I wanted to do is make sure that it was a, a an honest and sincere look. And I didn't want to sugarcoat it. It's really easy to, to try to portray, um, how you want to be seen but you know in in reality you know ryan and i on different occasions spent a lot of time just crying and scared you know and and um and it, it also hopefully explains a lot about kind of the the mental and physical chess game that we have to play to be able to get to the north pole as well i'd like to focus a little bit about the emotional roller coaster that this has to have been and I'm sorry to focus on the bear, but I mean, that's where we're starting. Uh, the introduction is actually titled A Walking Buffet. You turn the page and in bright red, the terror was immediate. <laughs> yeah. I, I was yeah. on a bike ride the other day, crested a, a mountain pass, and at the top was a black bear, full grown. Black bears are cute. <laughs> I actually chased after it, excited because I wanted to get a picture. I mean, seeing a polar bear, two polar bears walking straight at you, I mean, that had to be terrifying. Yeah, I mean, for better or worse, I've had some close encounters with polar bears over the years, so it wasn't my first instance, which I think helped. That said, you know, you're not the top of the food chain in the Arctic. Polar bears are, and they are looking at everything as food. And to be that literally blindsided by those bears was a very, very scary situation. And to immediately have to react where we, you know, dropped our ski poles, got out a flare, shot a flare off, they kept coming. Ryan shot off a flare, they kept coming. And uh, I pulled the gun out and shot off a cracker shell and that scared them away. And so it's a scary situation in the moment because it's very stressful. You don't have a lot of time to think, luckily. When it's done, you're very relieved that one, you're still alive, uh, two, um, that you didn't and you didn't get eaten. But then there's this other feeling that this is just day five. Exactly. It's not over. Now you've got yeah. so much more ahead of you that's equally as dangerous. Yeah, if not more. And so that is like this physical weight that weighs on you so heavily um, from that moment on. And uh, there's moments when you can manage it a little better. But, 
you know, we saw a variety of polar bear tracks throughout the entire journey. And uh, for me, it almost reached my breaking point near the end of the journey when we hadn't seen tracks in a few weeks. But yet here we were near the end of our trip, you know, really tired, physically done. Um, and there's another set of polar bear tracks, big, huge polar bear tracks going in our exact same direction. And for us, that was almost a breaking point as well. So it's, it's, it's so many things that go into each one of those moments that it's really hard to convey that when we're just talking about it. And that's why I'm glad that there's this bigger kind of uh, investigation in this trip, which is the book, because it, it allows me to tell a little bit more behind each one of these things. And I'm at a page right now where the sky and the ground are virtually the same color. Yeah. And uh, that's actually pretty good visibility if you can imagine. But there really Yeah. I mean there's there are there were times um you know, I I talk a lot about trips to Antarctica, climbing Everest, the Arctic Ocean, and I and I kinda say that the Arctic Ocean is t- is the most difficult the journey to the North Pole is the most difficult expedition on the planet, 10 times more difficult than climbing Mount Everest. You know, you have whiteouts on Everest as well, and that's a big challenge. Um, but the surface is so dynamic, it's constantly changing. It's bitterly cold. There's open water. There's polar bears. There's You're moving um, backwards at times because the ice is drifting, so you'd set up your tent and, and go backwards. But the whiteouts pose an interesting problem because we can't see. It's hard at times to just balance and stay upright. I'm sure you've probably been in the mountains where the weather blows in and it's just a whiteout. You can't see anything. You don't know where you're going. It's hard to describe unless you've actually been in one. And when you're in a complete whiteout, I couldn't stand up. No, it's like like being on the inside of a ping pong ball. So oftentimes we can even get like seasick because we can't see the horizon. Um, It's usually bitterly cold as well. Um, But the worst for us is we don't know what conditions we're getting into. Exactly. So we we don't know if we're going to get into this really rough ice where it might take us two hours to go a quarter of a mile or what we would do normally, which is hop up on a chunk of ice and scout the route. And then we can at least give ourselves a slight advantage on the terrain. But the whiteouts just take all that away. And it's this big stress. And I remember one day in particular... I think it was around like day 37, Ryan was in lead and we always switched off our leads. And, um, you know, he, I could just tell he was not feeling it. And he, we stopped at our break and he's like, they should write a country song called Crying Ear Goggles because that's what I've been doing this last time. And, you know, you just don't know how you're going to get out of these situations and you can't see a way out of the situation. So it's kind of doubly compounded in, uh, um, in that environment. Now, how did you come up with your chapter names? I just got to a better than a stick in the eye. Oh, man. <laughs> well, you know, we did not not we didn't set out to have a lot of these kind of statements or sayings, but they just kind of evolve. And you know, better than a stick in your eye is something that we said out loud to each other when we were trying to navigate or we would see the conditions, you know, and it was bad. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like the conditions a lot of times were just truly awful and it was hard to maintain any sort of optimism in those moments. 
because we just didn't see a way uh, through it. And what we would do is say, well, you know, this eye is better than a stick in the eye. It's pretty bad, like overall, but I guess, you know, having your eye gouged out by a sharp stick is worse, technically. You know, there aren't any sticks within hundreds of miles of here. Um, that is, keep holes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a worse situation. That was, that was our way to say, like, this is a bad situation, but there are things on planet Earth that are worse, surprisingly. And that was our way to remain slightly optimistic about the conditions and kind of get through our daily grind, which wasn't always that easy. Now, I'm looking at a picture here, and I love this. It's fun going through your book and having you sitting right here to actually ask you questions. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, come on, going to the North Pole, you're just skiing every day and it's beautiful weather and yeah, you're giving me a look. <laughs> but here you are with a huge sled. Looks like you're up to your waist in icy snow uh, pulling on this thing. I, I mean, when you talk about two hours to go a quarter of a mile. Yeah. I, yeah, that's a that that's seems a great fast that's in this. A, what a fantastic picture. Yeah. And I you know, I spent a lot of time taking pictures. It's hard to do camera freeze. I have to keep it in all my, you know, base layers that I'm wearing. But the the images really help portray, you know, what is happening, at least in in a in a small way, what's going on. And yeah, getting a two or three hundred pound sled up and over some of those uh, pressure ridges was insanely difficult. I mean, we were kind of pulling on that with all your body weight. You're just trying to find the fulcrum to, to tip the weight. And we would be kind of locked in these epic battles for like inches um, where we're just trying to leverage the sled in one way so that we can get it over and then, it, then lift it up on the next obstacle. Most of the but time, but what you're standing on might not be a stable platform. Oh no, yeah, <laughs> never, never, no. And it's you know the surface is constantly changing, and uh, you know these blocks of ice. It's so easy to slip, twist your ankle, get smashed by a sled, and so again, it's you start adding these um, kind of like facets to the story, to our experience, or these kind of I guess hardships. And you start to see how, okay, it's a really remote place. That makes it difficult. It's 40 degrees below zero. Tent poles break like dry twigs. Nylon tears like paper in that temperature. The ice conditions are insane. It's not flat. Our sleds weigh 300 and some odd pounds. There are polar bears. There's thin ice. There's open water. We're running out of food. We're running out of fuel. You know, we're, we're basically racing against time due to kind of our logistics window and the melting ice. And so each one of these things kind of adds to what's going on inside our head at any given moment. And it's, you know, I'm not going to lie, it's stressful. There are moments where we look around and say, this is a beautiful place. But there's always this weight. And I, and I call it a physical weight because that's what it felt like to us, um, where it was a burden that we just had to deal with and try to manage. Now I'm looking at your partner in this picture who's been crying in his goggles, and is he thinking, Eric, would you put the camera away and help me? Yeah, yeah, and uh, he's yelling at me for oh, that, yeah. actually. <laughs> um, you, you know, the, it's it's funny because we, our dynamic, like Ryan is a great guy, and, and I'm actually going to have lunch with him, and we were just talking on the phone yesterday, and he lives in Boulder, and 
um, you know, our dynamic was not always ideal. You know, like we got in some arguments. Um, we had some pretty frank discussions about our goals, and one of our goals was also to film because of the uh, the documentary that we made. And we're, you know, at times scared or, you know, when you're sleeping two inches away from another guy for almost two months, like the way that I chew my food, bo- you know, might bother Ryan or mm-hmm. something. It's just normal things when you're under that much stress that can really kind of um, affect your team dynamic. But I will say that Ryan and I were able to really work through all those. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Things in an incredible way. Um, and we have you know, been in situations that I wouldn't wish upon my worst enemy, um, Ryan and I together. And we've come through it as, as good friends and, and partners and still want to continue to do trips. And that's a, that's a special thing that, you know, apart from all the other lessons that I've gotten from that story, just that kind of friendship and partnership is very valuable to me. Now here to me is what I would consider the most terrifying thing out there, stepping across a crevasse, you have no idea if your foot on one side is going to break through or your foot on the other side is going to break through or if it's going to take your weight when you bring both feet over. What's your mindset as you're doing something like that? And there's one other thing in here that I think is even scarier. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I wouldn't say like I'm a crazy risk taker like I have some friends that are they've just got that gene where they'll do anything which is one of your titles <laughs> of a child must be nuts <laughs> yeah yeah um but what I've learned is that the more you deal in these areas of uncertainty and unknown and fear is that you get better at managing those things and so the fear is still there you're just able to deal with it a little bit better. Um, and I would say as your experience increases, that that level of risk goes down. You know, like a, a pro skier or whatever. If I, if I were to do something that an extreme skier was doing, like we're experiencing the same terrain, their risk is much less than I do because they have a lot of experience and skills and whatnot. Whereas for me, I would die. You know, my arms would get ripped off and my head would be somewhere else. Um so the same thing goes in the Arctic Ocean, but but basically on any given day, we're just managing that fear. And the interesting part is that that thin ice is, I feel like, a very primal thing for us, almost like that fear of heights. But there's this hesitation 
when you're going across sections of ice that, that are bending underneath your skis because you know the consequences of your actions are very extreme. And so it takes a little bit of mental fortitude to be able to push past that, but you get better at it over time. But there's still always this nagging dread that's there. I mean, odds are you're going to die a pretty awful death. Yeah, and Ryan almost did die. I mean, you know, we almost got eaten by polar bears. Another situation we were skiing across some very thin ice, and I had gotten across in one spot barely. And, you know, I was my fault i was kind of yelling at ryan i'm like go cross right here go 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 just don't think about it just do it but he's you know six one or six two he's 40 pounds heavier than i am and he went across a section and i just saw him sink into the water and i was kind of far enough away with other thin ice in between us that i couldn't do anything and that was like for me, probably one of the more scary moments of the entire trip because he could he was in a situation where I could not help him at all. And I felt so helpless. I mean, Ryan, you know, worse is going to be hypothermic in like two minutes if he doesn't get out. Right. And he, solid, you know, calm, was able to, you know, extricate himself, get on some stable ice, use his ski poles to pull him up himself up and then we got him up onto some dry uh or some more stable ice but uh that was that was another you know another scary sketchy situation well and the pictures of you guys swimming yeah i, I mean i never expected to see that you're in full gear and you're swimming yeah i mean we would ski up to these cracks which in the ice which are called leads and they're open water some of them are frozen over and you can ski across them some of them are kind of like thin ice that 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 is not really passable and then some are just like a big wide swath of black ocean and uh we we have uh, a section of rope with us and so generally what we would do is one of us would put on a dry suit more often than not it would be myself um and i would um swim across and we, Ryan would catamaran the sleds together, and he would sit on them like a raft, and then I would pull him with the rope across. And uh, that's just – and just constantly. And, and so there's a lot that goes into that one kind of effort, and it's, you know, being in the water is, like, probably one of our more dangerous situations, you know, not being able to get out on the other side. Ryan on top of the two sleds tipping over. Um, so there's just a lot of risk that goes into every moment and that is probably one of the riskier things yet we keep having to do it because if you don't i mean you can't turn around you're not going to get picked no up. we're not going to get picked up and we're just in terrible ice conditions you know and so which there's no might real, be worse heading back oh they're worse everywhere I mean, and yeah. uh, there's no real guarantee that we could get picked up i mean there's some places that the plane could have landed somewhere if we could have gotten to them or not that's a different story but much of the journey was like in areas where we were was just ice conditions that were not really suitable for a fixed wing aircraft to land which is all that could have reached us we got very lucky when we got to the north pole and probably my biggest relief of getting to the north pole was not necessarily just finishing the trip but that we were on the the biggest piece of ice that we had seen in a long time and that a plane could land on it and that was our 
the only luck that we got was when our trip was over where the plane was on because the pilots basically said we 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 were just going to camp and have you guys ski to us and maybe that you know like they thought 12 miles 15 miles away they would find a piece of ice and we would ski to them we'd just be in contact with gps positions and ryan and i were basically like we we can't do that we, we, we barely have any, we don't have any food. We're exhausted. We can't move from this spot. So having good ice at the, at the North Pole when we got there was a big relief. So the story didn't really even end when we got to the pole. <laughs> oh, what was your mental state when you got to the pole? Was it, I'm thinking it wasn't elation or real excitement. It was probably just a relief. Yeah, that's, the, that's a great word to describe it. And, uh, well, a couple things. We, we had, um, by day 40, and I explained this really well in the book, by day 40, we were still at the 87th parallel, which is over 200 miles from the pole. We only had 50 days of food with us and 50 day, or five um, days of emergency rations. So we had... So you had 10 days to do 200 miles. Yeah. And, um, and we can't travel faster. Like, we can't just be like, oh, yeah, we're going to ski really fast. We don't have the energy for it. It's just the conditions don't really allow you to move faster. So what we had to do is travel longer. So we started traveling 12 hours, 13, 14, 15-hour days. And then to make up for that, we had to cut our sleep in half. So after 40 days of doing the hardest thing that we've ever done in our lives, now we increase that effort, you know, by, by another factor. And then we half our sleep. And that's the position that we're in. Basically, we run out of food, and we're still 30 miles from the North Pole. We can't travel those long days anymore. So we cut down our travel to six hours on and then a few hours off. Six hours travel, a few hours off, because we just don't have energy to keep going. Um, You probably, similar to when you're doing some of your racing, have been in similar situations. Not that long. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And... uh, 10 days doesn't equal 40. <laughs> yeah, but you, you know, though, you know. And um, so so that's our next plan of trying to get to the pole. We're, then we go to sleep. We're still three and a half miles. We wake up. It's another whiteout. The wind is picked up. And it took us eight and a half hours to go that last three and a half miles. And we're crossing those leads those cracks in the ice were swimming across. I would check my GPS on the other side of the lead, and we would have drifted south. So that whole ice, the crack, was all moving together. So we're traveling on this conveyor belt, just going pushing us backwards. So when we got to the North Pole, it was a huge relief that there wasn't water there, that there wasn't a pressure ridge, that it was miraculously somehow the flattest piece of ice that we had ever seen. Um, and so we just set up the tent and went to sleep. We were, we were done. And there's, there's nothing there, you know, there's no marker. There's no, you know, like, Hey, nice like you job. See in Bugs yeah. Bunny. There's yeah. no Santa's workshop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's moving ice all the time. So even our moment at the North pole is very fleeting because the ice is moving so fast because of the drift. So it's a real, um, it, it's a, it's anti-climax to say the least, because, you just it's an arbitrary thing in one sense you just decide to stop moving at this point that is the north pole but you can't like by looking at it you can't tell it's not like the summit of everest where it's like okay everything else is lower than me (laughs) in the world you know 
well, I guess at the North Pole, everything else is more southern <laughs> yeah. than you. Yeah. <laughs> Which way do you go from here? South. <laughs> <laughs> so what was, was it almost cathartic to write this book? Yeah, I mean, you know, this was my third expedition to the North Pole. I have been singularly focused on this mission of telling the story of the Arctic Ocean for, you know, almost 15 years now. And it's a very unique place. It's a place that not a lot of people really understand. And to be able to tell this story of this journey which was done in in this way that I think is the is you know very elegant but also very difficult was not only cathartic but just um, I don't know it was it was a it was like I had finally been able to succeed you know and 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 I don't think you know things aren't going to change because of this book but it's just another way to reach people about this really compelling adventure in this very unique place that most likely will not be there in the future you know this. This um, book is called an, uh, On Thin Ice, An Epic Final Quest into the Melting Arctic. Uh, the logistics window is shut down on this, on this expedition. Uh, the ice is melting. And so the reality is, is that we may not be able to do this type of adventure in the future. Ever again. And, you know, imagine if Mount Everest got bulldozed over. That would be a tragic thing. And now we're losing this iconic you know region which is you know from an exploration standpoint you know the north and south pole has defined exploration way longer than mount everest has um but then also from an environmental perspective i mean the arctic ocean and the sea ice is really integral to a healthy planet um and so having that gone is is even a a more tragic loss how are you able to put the tension in this book we know you make it. You're sitting here right across from me, but as I'm skimming through this page, there's real tension that you're not going to make it. Well, you know, interestingly enough, when I watched the first cut of the documentary, I felt a lot of that same tension, and I was there. You know, I lived that thing, and watching it, I was like, wow, are we going to make it? And the same thing with the book. It's totally in the book. Um it was that's just how the trip unfolded so we just never knew and so when that tension is basically just our retelling of what was going on because we never felt this like definitive moment like oh yeah everything's gonna be fine there was always something ryan's joke was um you know what is there gonna be like dragons to come out and like breathe fire on us at the end so the, t- the tension is real the, dr- the drama is real. You know, for our TV show, I call it real reality. Like, there's no fake. I will give a shout out to Hudson Lindberger, who was my co-writer for this book. And uh, I always say I'm like the weak link in everything I do. And Hudson really was able to bring a lot of those kind of separate elements together. I'm, I'm so in every moment of it that it's hard for me to sometimes be objective about what's going on. And so he was definitely able to assist in a huge way with some of that more literary, you know, aspects of it to make sure that it's a compelling read as well. Um, but like I said, I mean, the, the, the tension is there from, I mean, even from the start, I mean, we were delayed eight days in resolute due to weather. We almost didn't even go to the starting line. So there, there was never, you know, I keep saying this, there was never a moment, but there wasn't. Which totally changed your ice. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, eight more days, huge. Exactly. And it also cut away from our end point, um, our buffer of extra time to make it to the pole because we had a hard stop date on May 4th, which the flight company, Camboric, said, we're not going to pick you up after this because the ice is, uh, we we think the ice is going to be unsafe um, any longer and we're not going to be able to land a plane. So no matter where you are in your trip, we're picking you up on May 4th. So we're racing against the ice we're racing against our supplies and we're also racing against this like logistics window that's about done in the end we we the weather bought us two more days and allowed us to get to the north pole we got picked up we we got to the north pole on may 6th and we were in constant communication but uh, you know those last days were just terrible flying so we got lucky that was our piece of luck i guess and the book is titled on thin ice an epic final quest into the melting arctic by Eric Larson with Hudson Lindenberger. So you had to be of Norwegian descent to <laughs> be involved in the book? <laughs> and where is it available? Uh, it's available at your local bookstores or on Amazon. Amazon? Yep. All right. Well, Eric Larson, thanks very much for going on adventure with us today. Thank you, George. Really appreciate it. From the Over the Top Studios at Scratch Labs in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. 